Hello, and welcome to the Mercy and Grace Ministries podcast. This is a show for those who desire to be ignited in their faith through the trials of life. We will inspire you with powerful, life-transforming stories, energize you with biblical truths, and give you the tools to connect into what God has for you. Join us in this journey as we think as we laugh, and as we grow in a deeper relationship with Christ together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mercy and Grace podcast, episode number four. We are interviewing our president and founder, pastor and evangelist, Chris Mullen. I am your host, Eric Mueller, and we want to say thank you for joining us today. We are so excited you're being part of this podcast. Now, I want to remind you, if you haven't subscribed as of yet, we have other episodes up on the uh, podcast platform, whether you're on Google Music, iTunes, Podbean. Please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get automated downloads of all of our episodes. We'll have many more episodes to come. So we're excited you're joining us today. Now today we're going to dive into Pastor Chris Mullen's life, but also uncover some pretty amazing things that we've seen behind prison walls. Now I know we focused uh, last episode interview with Tyrone Allen and gave you a glimpse into Tyrone's life, but also we've took you a little into the into the prison scene and, and what's going on behind prison walls. And we're really excited about this ministry and what God is doing. And so I want to introduce Pastor Chris, our founder. And Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What do you think about the podcast? It's awesome. So Chris, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, So uh, my parents never took me to church, but my neighbors did. And at eight years old, they took me to church and they told me how to accept Christ. And I got on my knees after church and accepted Christ at eight years old. And then uh, at age 12, I started using drugs and alcohol. I started selling them at age 14. I went into juvenile county and state prison facilities. And uh, over the years, I heard about how bad their kids were doing. And I remember thinking, it can't be that bad. They're not going to prison. And uh, I got a hold of this woman when I was in my 30s after I got clean and came back to the Lord. And I said, uh, I said, Patty, it doesn't make any sense. I go, based on my lifestyle and out of prison and being shot in the face, it just doesn't make any sense. I believe that if I hadn't accepted Jesus Christ, I never would have made it. So I'm calling to thank you. And I don't hear anything. And I said, Patty, are you there? And she was weeping. She said, Chris, I've been praying for you for 20 years. Mm. So prayer is powerful. Wow, very powerful. And what does she think now about you and what how the ministry is and what God's doing in your life? You know, it's very exciting what what she thinks now and uh and and people that knew me back then, they can't even believe it. And we know it's God. I remember this one woman, I started working at Colony's Furniture with 2 weeks clean and I was performing a wedding and the office manager pulled me aside and she goes, you know, Chris, when you first started here, I didn't like you, uh, but now look at you, you. Look at you. You're doing weddings and premarital counseling. And I said, "Give God the glory." And she said, "Who else could it be?" <laughs> 
there is no one else in that regard. And so what was life like growing up for you in San Jose? You know, I uh, I, I, I was all about being a, a good drug dealer. So if you guys want to look that up, uh, I was going to be a good drug dealer. And so there you go. And that was your sole mission in life. That was it. Tell us a story about your childhood that was impactful, probably to others more so than you, but let's talk about that story. Well, I went to a class and my teacher gave me a bad grade and, uh, and, and, and I decided to discuss it with the teacher. And he, when the teacher was supposed to show up the second to last day of class, school, whatever, and uh, he didn't show up and I'm very compassionate, right? So I assumed he was sick, but I saw him at the mall that day. <laughs> and I realized uh, he had cut class, and so I got something for you, and I burned his classroom down. You burned his classroom down. They really frown on that. <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> yes, they do frown on that. Off the jail, I win. Well, if I'm ever uh, teaching in a class, I'll make sure I don't get on your bad side on that one. Now, I know life was totally out of control for you. Obviously, you were a drug addict, but you were also uh, selling drugs. I would imagine that combination is never a good combination, and you ended up in prison. So tell us about your prison experience as an inmate. What was that like for you? Well, I did two uh, terms and three violations, so I was in and out of prison for years, and uh, it just seemed normal, and uh, I, I learned... Uh, uh, a lot of racism in there. A lot of racism. Yes, I learned it. And so, were you part of a of a gang, or talk through kind of your experience as far as where your head was during that time? Uh, I wouldn't say I was in the gang officially, but I was. Uh, uh, I'm a white guy. And I was hanging out with the white guys. So. So, yeah, you're you're clicking up with that with that crew, and pretty much. Okay, so you, I know you were in prison and. You, you had heard, you had seen a lot of things coming into San Quentin, San Quentin State Prison in particular, and you had, I know you had this experience about hearing the beautiful singing of Christmas carols in San Quentin. So talk about that experience and talk about how God brought it full circle into your life years later. Well, I, I, uh, I, I couldn't see them. I was in my cell and the cell door was closed, but I could hear them. And uh, they were singing Christmas carols. I know now they were Christian songs. And uh, I felt something tugging at my heart. I wasn't done, but uh, uh, I felt the love. So in essence, what happens is every year, a group of people go in to yes. San Quentin and they actually go in and sing Christmas carols on the tiers it is an amazing experience. We've done it, and it's just been such a blessing to, to, to see these men hear these Christmas carols. They all come out of their cells. They stand on these tiers five stories tall, 50 cells wide per tier, so it's a huge cell block, and they hear all of us singing up to them the Christmas carols, and, and they start to join in, and it's a glorious occasion. So Chris was a a receiver of that mm -hmm. uh, music. And so talk about your experience where you went back into San Quentin. I went back uh, uh, 12 years later and uh, was cleared to sing Christmas carols, and I had no idea what I was in for. Um, uh, I know it's good, but uh, I going back in the same cell blocks where I used to live, I wept in every cell block. Oh, I bet. 
that's powerful experience. Yes. And on the other side of it, where man, you were you were going back in to bless those men, and uh, just realizing where how far God has brought you from where you used to be. Amazing and powerful. Talk about your your experience with getting trapped into the cycle of being incarcerated because you went back in multiple times. How, how does this, this, this work as far as getting trapped in that cycle? You know, I was just trapped in the lifestyle really. And, uh, uh, and I didn't know any other way to live. And, uh, I just kept going back in because of my, uh, my behavior warranted me to go back in a lot. So basically you're just violating parole every time because you're getting caught doing other things. Now I know one night you were thirsty and you ended up going to a to a Seven Eleven, and stopping to get some alcohol. Talk about that experience. Well, I'm I'm smarter than most people, and it was about five to two, and I didn't want them to stop selling alcohol, so I went ahead and got some uh, uh, alcohol. And then it was a windy road, and I was actually uh, leaving very fast. I was speeding, and there was a cop pulling somebody over. And being as smart as I am, I hit the brakes to slow down, and my brakes locked, and I hit the cop car. That's never a good idea to hit the cop car. If you're on parole and you're drinking and you're screeching your brakes and you hit a cop, you will go back to prison every single time on that violation. That's what happened. Oh, gosh. Wow. So I want you guys to get excited uh, that if Jesus can do it for me, he can do it for anybody. Yeah, that's amen to that, brother. And so you get sober and you start to realize life had to change. And I know prison can wake you up and you get out and you said, what's going to be different about this time, this parole, this life change? And how did God use that to move you into this new life? Well, I've been out for five years and got arrested again. And I found myself on the bottom of a cell floor and I, and, and I realized something has to change. What, what, what do you mean you... I have to stop using drugs. Okay. So you just were brought to your knees and yeah. you were done. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. So you get out and, and what, what happened? How did, you, how did you spark that change? I started going to Narcotics Anonymous and I learned how to live without using drugs. And, uh, uh, and that turned into going back to church and rededicating my life to Christ. So that was the beginning yes. of this. And, and then you turn your life back over to Christ. You start yes. to live this new life. How did you, how did you come up with this idea? Like, I want to go give back to these different facilities that I came out of, or even the juvenile side. How did you get, how did you get connected into that? Well, I actually really wanted to go back uh, to give something back, right? And uh, and I got denied clearance at. Uh, San Quentin, and uh, I talked to the owner of the company I worked for, Steve Connolly, and I uh, I tried to go back to uh, uh, San Quentin, and 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 this coworker, minor husband, went with the guy and sang Christmas carols, but the guy didn't do it anymore. So uh, I I asked uh, Steve Connolly who I sh- what I should do. I told him, and he had me call a guy, and and uh, the guy says I can't help you with San Quentin, but I get you into CYA. That was 1999. So he made the connection to CYA. You get into CYA and you yes. start to go back. And, yes. And, and so what, what did you do? What did you have for these kids to tell them? And what kind of, what, what kind of services were you providing them? 
It started off with uh, uh, 13 to uh, 17 year olds, and then it would be 13 to 17 year olds in the morning, and then the uh, 18 to 25 year olds in the evening, in the afternoon, and it would be talking about uh, living a different way of li of life. So you're just encouraging them. Yes. And did you do a sermon, or did you just kind of do like a? I did sermons. Did sermons. So basically, from 1999 on, you've been doing sermons behind yes, yes. juvenile hall walls. How did you get connected back into prisons? Uh, this was 2003. I've been doing it for four years, and Steve Conley says, I believe that the Holy Spirit's put it on my heart to support you. What do you call your ministry? And I had never even thought of it as my ministry, and I remembered a sermon I'd heard one time, Mercy, by Steve Matson, by the way, Pastor Steve Matson. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And I went back into his office, and I said, Mercy and Grace. We call it Mercy and Grace Ministries. And that was the beginning of Mercy and Grace. Yes. And we're talking 1999 until 2011, pretty much. Chris was running this ministry on his own, yes. working on gaining supporters. And it, it's just amazing what God did through that time to grow him. And and he was you were working along the way. Yes. So talk about your work life experience. You were you were working for. Conley's Furniture. I was working full time and I used to take one day off a month to do this and without pay, of course. And uh, and I really felt God wanted me to do it. And so you take this day off work. How many how many weekends were you going in behind prison walls? One weekend a month. Just one. Just the one. Yes. OK. And but you, you ended up doing more and more and more over time. And then you ended up leaving your job, right? Yes. You know, it's uh, strange. Uh, I'm trying to be uh, uh, filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. And uh, God uh, put it on my heart to quit my job. And I was like, I don't have a backup plan. And uh, I asked him again on day two. And what did you want me to do, God? He wanted me to quit my job. And I asked him again on day three and on day four and on day five and day six. And on day seven, I asked him again, what did you want me to do, God? And he, he said, why do you keep asking me something you already know the answer to? And I gave notice that day mm. without a backup plan. And so Chris makes this huge commitment. Yes. Financially, in particular, because you had a great six-figure job you were making, and you're now you're moving into a ministry, and the the funds are limited. And so, talk about that experience from just spending money to even just live day by day. How was that? Well, I'd say going from my uh, old lifestyle to uh, uh, getting free food at churches and food banks. Yeah, very humbling. Oh, I bet. <laughs> But God had a plan and a purpose yes, in this, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so what, what took place, 2011 comes along. Now, I had been going to their fundraising banquet from 2009, 2010. And then in 2011, Chris approaches me to help with the mm -hmm. planning of the banquet. So I, I had some experience with events, and I said, sure, I'll, I'll help plan with the banquet. Banquet. So talk to me about 2012 and what was the launch point in 2012? <coughs> I asked uh, Pastor Eric to go in with me to a prison because 
it would make sense. He was on the board. He was the vice president of a prison ministry. Uh, and about 20 minutes away from the prison, I, I said, uh, Eric, uh, I'm going to need you to give your testimony. And, uh, and with almost no notice. And then I got done. They added a, a service, and I didn't know the times very well. And I got done, and, and uh, I finished 15 minutes early. And one of the guys goes, hey, you got 15 minutes. And I go, Eric, you got 15 minutes. <laughs> now, I, I told this story in my story of at the first podcast. And it was definitely a life-changing moment for me. Yes, yes. So talk through kind of how, you know, what... What happened at that point where you and I were tag teaming now the, the prison services that you were already doing on a normal yes. schedule? You yes. were doing pretty much every weekend already, right? Behind prison walls? Almost every weekend. So almost every weekend you're going in and he's actually splitting the pulpit, pulpit time with me now. Yes. And we're doing about a half hour each yes. at all these different prisons. What happened after that? You know, it changed from, uh, you know, not about what I could do, but about raising up other people to do it. And now we have uh, approximately 25 volunteers and we're doing an average of 37 church services a month behind walls. And, uh, and, and so now it's about uh, teaching other people to do it. It's really huge. Yeah. 1,945 men accepted or recommitted to Jesus Christ last year. So Huge. Just huge. And we've seen such a growth. It was Chris and I in the ministry uh, from 2012, probably to 2014. And then we started to raise up other volunteers. Yes. We started to create classes to teach uh, individuals about prison ministry, how to teach and preach. And then Mark Fisher came on and he opened up the Western Seminary Partnership. And now we were equipping people using Western Seminary content and content we developed to do classes, which was great. And it's still going on today. So we grew the ministry kind of organically and people started finding out about it. And it's been such a huge blessing. 425 church services last year, 13 state prisons, four juvenile facilities. And it's, it's just been awesome. 32 different individual chapels that we serve. So 32 churches, all with their own leadership, all on different yards at different prisons. And it is really cool to see how God is working behind prison walls. So I'll tell you, Chris and I went to Pelican Bay. And we, I was preaching, and I'll, I'll let tell, Chris tell some of the story. I'll tell the first part. But I was preaching on the yard at Pelican Bay my first time up there. Pretty intense place. This is a level four prison in the state of California, up north towards the Oregon border. And this prison is where pretty much the worst of the worst are. And if, if you get kicked out of another prison for bad behavior most likely you're going to be sent up to Pelican Bay. A lot of the gang leaders are sent up there. At least they were, and lots of, lot of, lots of change in the system. But ultimately, I'm on the yard, I'm on the, uh, in the chapel preaching, and next thing you know, the lights go off. And Chris and I are like, what's going on, right? And so next thing you know, the uh, officer comes in and said, hey, you guys got to leave. Uh, sorry, we have power problems. She starts to walk out. She starts to line the inmates up out to, to go outside. And next thing I know, I hear this loud boom, booms. And then over the loudspeaker, uh, this officer starts screaming, stop fighting, stop fighting. 
we start to hear the we start to hear loud booms hitting off on the yard. So they pull all of us out of the chapel and they stood us at the chapel door. And all the inmates on the yard were laying down besides inmates that were fighting. And there was probably a group of about 12 people fighting. It was the Bloods and the Crips going at it, we later found out. Chris and I are staring on the yard in a lockup episode. And the gun turrets are lighting off powder rounds. So the powder rounds are flying out of the gun turrets up, up, up above the yard. Just ba-boom, ba-boom. Officers were flying out of every corner of the prison. It was intense. So because of that, we got to go into the Pelican Bay shoe. So talk about getting the flak jackets with the officer. What would you ask him? Uh, so Romans 8.28 tells us that God works, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And uh, and what uh, Pastor Eric forgot to mention was uh, when uh, those guys were going out in the yard, I, I told them, hey, just go in there and break it up. <laughs> right. So we're getting the, uh, uh, on Monday morning, that was on Saturday, on Sunday we were on different yards, they called us on Monday morning at 7.30 a.m. and said it was, the yard was up, so we go in there, but a, a, a guard goes into the chapel and says no programs, which means no service for us, and the chaplain asks, uh, how far did you drive, and Pastor Eric says, uh, eight and a half hours, and he said, how would you like to go into the cell blocks? And so we were to go into the cell blocks and pray with the men that would have come to service and with their cellies. And uh, uh, they're giving us flak jackets and they're green. And I asked the, the guard, uh, could I have a flowered one? <laughs> there are no flowered flak jackets. <clears throat> but I love how it worked out. Next thing you know, um, we're in the cell blocks praying with the guys in their cellies. And then uh, Chaplain Sam takes us into the shoe for the first time, the security housing unit. And uh, and and I've been doing this for, at that time, for like 15 years and never been in the shoe. And uh, uh, now we're in the shoe every time we go. Yeah, so God really used it to open up. And so we were, in, were standing at the door of the shoe, and they wouldn't let us in the actual cell block uh, where we can walk up to the inmates' different cells, but they let, a, they let us to the door that opened into the shoe area. So they let one inmate out at a time, and the first guy that came up, talk about that. The first guy is uh, just shining with Jesus, not complaining. He says he's been in prison 30 years since he was 16. And uh, not complaining. As we're walking away, the chaplain goes, you know that first guy you were talking to? And we said yes. And he goes, he used to be one of the leaders of the Mexican Mafia. And now he's actually in another prison leading the services. So, the crazy story. What happened where we get to see this brother now is... We were at another prison, and we were doing services. We opened up that prison. We're doing three services a day there. Well, there was dissension on two yards, so they actually swapped two chaplains. Uh, they swapped the yards that they were on, which means that we were covering one yard, and now we are going to move to cover another yard based on this swap. Well, I had been checking where this person was that we met in the shoe at Pelican Bay. I'd been checking on where he was located, found out he was in a prison near the prison we were at, and then I found out uh, about three months after that that he had got moved to the prison we were at. And the cool thing was 
the dissension actually caused us to move to the yard he actually was on. So Chris got to see him for the first time, no flak jacket, and he was leading the guys and helping to run the Spanish congregation at this facility. Just a huge blessing, and I get to see him every month as well now, and he's thriving, and God is just really blessing him. But it was cool to see him come from Pelican Bay and the life that he used to have, and God really changed him. We, I know we have many, many stories that we could tell you and, and just uh, what God is doing in men's lives behind prison walls. He's done it for Chris. He's moved him from the life that he used to live. And we see God working in Chris now and how the ministry has grown and how he's discipled men yes. and yes. grown. God has grown the ministry through Chris and now through us. And we're passing that baton down the line and God is just opening so many doors for us. Now, how about this? You talked about a story about one of our volunteers and okay. it's just powerful how God when God says go, you go. And talk about that that story. Well, I love this. I was doing a training, uh, basic training uh, for Mercy and Grace Ministries uh, 101 with uh, Pastor David and other people. And uh, uh, he, as he was leaving, he, he was saying to himself, uh, that's nice, but I'm not interested. I won't be doing that. And as he's driving home, God says, I care about that ministry. He doesn't care about what this ministry does, but he cares about this ministry. And uh, so uh, Pastor Dave called me back and said, where do you want me to go? And uh, now he's doing the first and wait, the second and third Sundays at uh, a prison for us. And it's he, he talks about how it's completely changed his life. And I've heard this over and over again from other people that are volunteering with us that it's changing their lives. Absolutely. And uh it's absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. Never did I think I'd be preaching and teaching in a prison and never did I think I'd be doing this. But I see now looking back in my life, how God worked out all those situations, even the stuff I was doing in leadership in men's ministry, God used all that to help use the skill sets that I learned to help grow mercy and grace, to help the business side of mercy and grace. So I see the impact that it's made in my life. How about the impact it's made in your life? It's completely transformed my life and it's beyond, uh, you know, I need to have this and I need to have that. It's like, I don't need to have anything. I just need to do what God wants me to do. And Chris, you are one faithful brother, man. I tell you, he is in multiple facilities, uh, some two two twice a weekend but every weekend this brother is behind prison walls and he has a heart for these guys he has a heart for those who are in a recovery he has a heart for those who are suffering from the disease of addiction and he's a big blessing how many how many people do you sponsor now 10 you have 10 sponsees so I, this guy does not stop. He he goes, goes, and goes, and goes, and goes, and goes, and does not stop. And I think for us, mercy and grace, you know, it's just a great testament to how God can get a hold of someone, how he can turn your life around, how he can move you into your calling, move you into your planned purpose that he has for you, for the people group that he wants to reach. He can use you. He can use the 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 wretched story and bring it full circle like he did 
for Pastor Chris. You know, I just love this. This one guy uh, uh, early on, in, and I've been sponsoring him for like 13 years, but he said, I will never be a Christian and I'm never going to listen to it because I'm listening to Christian music only because I'm never going to listen to that kind of music. Uh, but uh, I asked him to come to, to Christ a few times and he said no. And uh, then a few years later, he was he called me up and he goes, I'm ready to accept Jesus now. And I go, what happened? He goes, I've been washing your feet for three years and they match your mouth. Yeah, it's key, isn't it? People are watching our feet. Yeah, and that that is absolutely true. We can claim the name, but are we living that life? And that is a testimony. We talk about there's there's five Gospels, right? The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Gospel of your life. Mm -hmm. And most people might just read the Gospel of you. They're not going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but they're going to look at your life. Mm. And if you claim the name of Christ, guess what? We hope that you are walking that walk where they can be encouraged, where they can glean that hope that is in Jesus from your life. So how do you how do you do that? I mean, how do you in particularly do that in living that life out day by day? Uh, believe it or not, God can use all of us for good, and uh, and and it's just hard for me to believe that I came from that world, and uh, and that God can use it for good, but He certainly can. And uh, I actually did a wedding. Uh, I was at a funeral, sorry, uh, recently, and there was a guy there that goes after the funeral. He goes, "Man, I heard about you." He goes, "You're a minister now," and I go, "Yep." And he goes, "Man." He goes, I don't even believe in God, but I might now. That's <laughs> yeah, a good reason. If he knew you from the past, that's for sure. You're the dude who burned down the classroom. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, it's been such a blessing to have you on. Any encouraging word for our listeners? Yeah, I would just say trust in God and, and he will lead your path. And if he's leading you to do something, do it. Yeah, be obedient, right? Yes, yes. How has obedience changed your life and in, in, in even understanding what obedience is and, and actually quitting your job for one example, how, how, did that, how did that work? Because you were struggling financially. It didn't make sense, but you were obedient in that call. Talk about that. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. So we don't have to understand. It doesn't have to make sense to us. Trust in the Lord. Yep. And God has blessed the ministry financially. We are able to do what we do. Chris is a full-time staffer. Uh, we also have another part-time staffer. And we, we pretty much fully fund every year. We do have to hustle dollars. I mean, that's a reality of being a nonprofit. We have a large annual dinner that uh, takes in a majority of the funds there. Uh, we have a golf tournament as well. So it's been it's been quite the journey to get yes, yes. to get where we are today, but God's in it. We Trust know that. Him. Trust him. Trust him. Chris, what sets mercy and grace apart? Love. Love. And, and I remember it when I first started this, and uh, somebody asked me, "Do you want everybody to go in that's been in in prison?" And I was thinking some kind of history, and then I remembered Erlene Lemming, who was one of the pioneers of Women's Globe Prison Ministry, and she had never been incarcerated, never done drugs, but she had the love of Christ. And I said, uh, "Our people need to have the love. Knowing the Bible is important, but they need to have the love of Christ." So the love of Christ—that's what sets us apart. Yes. Amen, brother. Thank you. And, for that. and the guys are really, really noticing the difference. And uh, uh, I had a guy at uh, one prison uh, a couple weeks ago say that when mercy, when they know mercy and grace is coming, they add seats. 
They mm. bring more chairs. And so mm. uh, I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. We're not. But we, we our people need to go in there with the love of Christ. It's mm, so good. Amen, brother. Thank okay. you for that. So, guys, we just want to thank you for listening today. Uh, thank you, Pastor Chris, yeah. for being on the show. We're encouraged by you, brother. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. And we know uh, that we're setting the stage for the next 10 years of mercy and grace and seeing what God's going to do. Are you excited? Yes! He's a little excited. He gets excited. <laughs> well, guys, be blessed today. Thank you for your time. We love you. And remember, please subscribe to the Mercy and Grace podcast. That's the best way to get the next episode coming up. I mean, otherwise, you have to wait to see the notice on Facebook and you might, might miss it. So we appreciate you, we love you, and have a great day. God bless.